Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories and Chapters 18 and 19 from Lucy Maud Montgomery's Anne of Avonlea. And now, Chapter 18, An Adventure on the Tory Road. Anne, said Davy, sitting up in bed and propping his chin on his hands. Anne, where is sleep? People go to sleep every night, and of course I know it's the place where I do the things I dream. But I want to know where it is and how I get there and back without knowing anything about it. And in my nighty, too. Where is it? Anne was kneeling at the west gable window watching the sunset sky that was like a great flower with petals of crocus and a heart of fiery yellow. She turned her head at Davy's question and answered dreamily, Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow. Paul Irving would have known the meaning of this, or made a meaning out of it for himself, if he didn't, but practical Davy, who, as Anne often despairingly remarked, hadn't a particle of imagination, was only puzzled and disgusted. Anne, I believe you're just talking nonsense. Of course I was, dear boy. Don't you know that it is only very foolish folk who talk sense all the time? Well, I think you might give a sensible answer when I ask a sensible question, said Davy, in an injured tone. Oh, you're too little to understand, said Anne. But she felt rather ashamed of saying it, for had she not, in keen remembrance of many similar snubs administered in her own early years, solemnly vowed that she would never tell any child that they were too little to understand. And yet, here she was, doing it. So wide sometimes is the gulf between theory and practice. "'Well, I'm doing my best to grow,' said Davy. "'But it's a thing you can't hurry much. "'If Marilla wasn't so stingy with her jam, "'I believe I'd grow a lot faster.' "'Marilla is not stingy, Davy,' said Anne severely. "'It's very ungrateful of you to say such a thing.' "'There's another word that means the same thing "'and sounds a lot better, "'but I don't just remember it,' said Davy, frowning intently. "'I heard Marilla say she was it herself the other day.' "'If you mean economical,' "'It's a very different thing from being stingy. "'It is an excellent trait in a person if she is economical. "'If Marilla had been stingy, "'she wouldn't have taken you and Dora when your mother died. "'Would you have liked to live with Mrs. Wiggins?' "'You just bet I wouldn't.' "'Davy was emphatic on that point. "'Nor do I want to go out to Uncle Richard, neither. "'I'd far rather live here, "'even if Marilla is that long-tailed word when it comes to jam. "'Cause you're here, Anne. "'Say, Anne. "'Won't you tell me a story before I go to sleep? "'I don't want a fairy story. "'They're all right for girls, I suppose. "'I want something exciting. "'Lots of killing and shooting in it, "'and a house on fire, "'and entrusting things like that.' "'Fortunately for Anne, "'Marilla called out at this moment from her room. "'Anne, Diana's signaling at a great rate. "'You'd better see what she wants.' "'Anne ran to the east gable "'and saw flashes of light coming through the twilight "'from Diana's window in groups of five which meant, according to their old childish code, come over at once, for I have something important to reveal. Anne threw her white shawl over her head and hastened through the haunted wood and across Mr. Bell's pasture corner to Orchard Slope. I've good news for you, Anne, said Diana. Mother and I have just got home from Carmody, and I saw Mary Sentner from Spencervale in Mr. Blair's store. She says the old cop girls on the Tory Road have a willow-ware platter, and she thinks it's exactly like the one we had at the supper that was broken. She says they'll likely sell it, for Martha Cop has never been known to keep anything she could sell. But if they won't, 
There's a platter at Wesley Keeson's at Spencervale, and she knows they'd sell it. But she isn't sure it's just the same kind as Aunt Josephine's. I'll go right over to Spencervale after it tomorrow, said Anne resolutely, and you must come with me. It will be such a weight off my mind, for I have to go to town day after tomorrow, and how can I face your Aunt Josephine without a willow-ware platter? It would be even worse than the time I had to confess about jumping on the spare-room bed. Both girls laughed over the old memory, concerning which, if any of my readers are ignorant and curious, I must refer them to Anne's earlier history. The next afternoon the girls fared forth on their platter-hunting expedition. It was ten miles to Spencervale, and the day was not especially pleasant for traveling. It was very warm and windless, and the dust on the road was such as might have been expected after six weeks of dry weather. "'Oh, I do wish it would rain soon,' sighed Anne. "'Everything is so parched up. The poor fields just seem pitiful to me, and the trees seem to be stretching out their hands, pleading for rain. As for my garden—' It hurts me every time I go into it. I suppose I shouldn't complain about a garden when the farmer's crops are suffering so. Mr. Harrison says his pastures are so scorched up that his poor cows can hardly get a bite to eat, and he feels guilty of cruelty to animals every time he meets their eyes. After a wearisome drive, the girls reached Spencervale and turned down the Tory Road, a green, solitary highway where the strips of grass between the wheel tracks bore evidence to lack of travel. Along most of its extent, it was lined with thick-set young spruces crowding down to the roadway, with here and there a break where the backfield of a Spencerville farm came out to the fence, or an expanse of stumps was aflame with fireweed and goldenrod. "'Why is it called a Tory Road?' asked Dan. "'Mr. Allen says it's on the principle of calling a place a grove because there are no trees in it,' said Diana." "'for nobody lives along the road "'except the cop girls and old Martin Bovier "'at the further end, who was a liberal. "'The Tory government ran the road through "'when they were in power "'just to show they were doing something. "'Diana's father was a liberal, "'for which reason she and Anne "'never discussed politics. "'Green Gables folk had always been conservatives. "'Finally the girls came to the old cop homestead, "'a place of such exceeding external neatness "'that even Green Gables would have suffered by contrast.' The house was a very old-fashioned one, situated on a slope, which fact had necessitated the building of a stone basement under one end. The house and outbuildings were all whitewashed to a condition of blinding perfection, and not a weed was visible in the prim kitchen garden surrounded by its white paling. Surrounded by its white paling. "'The shades are all down,' said Diana ruefully. "'I don't think anybody's home.' This proved to be the case." The girls looked at each other in perplexity. "'I don't know what to do,' said Anne. "'If I were sure the platter was the right kind, I would not mind waiting until they came home. But if it isn't, it may be too late to go to Wesley Keeson's afterward.' Diana looked at a certain little square window over the basement. "'That's the pantry window, I feel sure,' she said, "'because this house is just like Uncle Charles's at Newbridge, and that's their pantry window.' The shade isn't down, so if we climbed up on the roof of that little house, we could look into the pantry and might be able to see the platter. Do you think it would be any harm? No, I don't think so, decided Anne, after due reflection, since our motive is not idle curiosity. The important point of ethics now being settled, Anne prepared to mount the aforesaid little house, a construction of lathes with a peaked roof, which had in times past served as a habitation for ducks. The cop girls had given up keeping ducks, because they were such untidy birds, they said. 
"'and the house had not been in use for some years, "'save as an abode of correction for setting hens. "'Although scrupulously whitewashed, "'it had become somewhat shaky, "'and Anne felt rather dubious "'as she scrambled up from the vantage point "'of a keg placed on a box. "'I'm afraid it won't bear my weight,' she said, "'as she gingerly stepped on the roof. "'Lean on the window sill,' advised Diana, "'and Anne accordingly leaned. "'Much to her delight, she saw, as she peered through the pane, "'a willow-ware bladder, exactly such as she was in quest of, "'on the shelf in front of the window. "'So much she saw before the catastrophe came. "'In her joy, Anne forgot the precarious nature of her footing, "'incautiously ceased to lean on the window-sill "'and gave an impulsive little hop of pleasure, "'and the next moment she had crashed through the roof up to her armpits, "'and there she hung, quite unable to extricate herself.' Diana dashed into the duck-house and, seizing her unfortunate friend by the waist, tried to draw her down. "'Ow! Don't!' shrieked poor Anne. "'There are some long splinters sticking into me. See if you can put something under my feet. Then perhaps I can draw myself up.' Diana hastily dragged in the previously mentioned keg, and Anne found that it was just sufficiently high to furnish a secure resting place for her feet. But she could not release herself." "'Could I pull you out if I crawled up?' suggested Diana. Anne shook her head hopelessly. "'No, the splinters hurt too badly. "'If you can find an axe, you might chop me out, though. "'Oh, dear, I do really begin to believe "'that I was born under an ill-omened star.' Diana searched faithfully, but no axe was to be found. "'I have to go for help,' she said. "'No, you won't,' said Anne vehemently. "'If you do the story of this, it'll get out everywhere, "'and I'll be ashamed to show my face. "'No, we must just wait until the cop girls come home "'and bind them to secrecy. "'They'll know where the axe is and get me out. "'I'm not uncomfortable as long as I keep perfectly still. "'I'm not uncomfortable in body, I mean. "'I wonder what the cop girls value this house at. "'I shall have to pay for the damage I've done. "'But I wouldn't mind that if I were only sure "'they would understand my motive in peeping in their pantry window.' "'My sole comfort is that the platter is just the kind I want, "'and if Miss Cop will only sell it to me, "'I shall be resigned to what has happened.' "'What if the Cop girls don't come home till after night, "'or even tomorrow?' suggested Diana. "'If they're not back by sunset, "'you'll have to go for other assistance, I suppose,' "'said Anne reluctantly. "'But you mustn't go until you really have to. "'Oh, dear, this is a dreadful predicament.' I wouldn't mind my misfortune so much if they were romantic, as Mrs. Morgan's heroines always are, but they're always just simply ridiculous. Fancy what the cop girls will think when they drive into their yard and see a girl's head and shoulders sticking out of the roof of one of their outhouses. Listen, is that a wagon? I don't think so, Anne. It's thunder, said Diana. And thunder it was, undoubtedly, and Diana, having made a hasty pilgrimage around the house, "'returned to announce that a very black cloud "'was rising rapidly in the northwest. "'I think we're going to have a heavy thunder shower,' "'she exclaimed in dismay. "'Anne, what'll we do?' "'We must prepare for it,' said Anne, tranquilly. "'A thunderstorm seemed a trifle "'in comparison with what had already happened. "'You'd better drive the horse and buggy "'into that open shed. "'Fortunately, my parasol is in the buggy. "'Here, take my hat with you.' "'Marilla told me I was a goose to put on my best hat "'to come to the Tory road, and she was right, as she always is.' "'Diana untied the pony and drove into the shed "'just as the first heavy drops of rain fell. 
There she sat and watched the resulting downpour, which was so thick and heavy that she could hardly see Anne through it, holding the parasol bravely over her bare head. There was not a great deal of thunder, but for the best part of an hour the rain came merrily down. Occasionally Anne slanted back her parasol and waved an encouraging hand to her friend, but conversation at that distance was quite out of the question. Finally the rain ceased, the sun came out, and Diana ventured across the puddles of the yard. "'Did you get very wet?' she asked. "'Oh, no,' returned Anne cheerfully. "'My head and shoulders are quite dry, and my skirt is only a little damp where the rain beat through the lathes. "'Don't pity me, Diana, for I haven't minded it at all. "'I kept thinking how much good the rain will do, and how glad my garden must be for it, "'and imagining what the flowers and buds would think when the drops began to fall.' I imagined out a most interesting dialogue between the asters and the sweet peas and the wild canaries in the lilac bush. I imagined out a most interesting dialogue between the asters and the sweet peas and the wild canaries in the lilac bush and the guardian spirit of the garden. When I go home, I mean to write it down. I wish I had a pencil and paper to do it now, because I dare say I'll forget the best parts before I reach home. Diana the Faithful had a pencil and discovered a sheet of wrapping paper in the box in the buggy. Anne folded up her dripping parasol, put on her hat, spread the wrapping paper on a shingle Diana handed up, and wrote out her garden idol under conditions that could hardly be considered as favorable to literature. Nevertheless, the result was quite pretty, and Diana was enraptured when Anne read it to her. Oh, Anne, it's sweet, just sweet. Do send it to the Canadian woman. Anne shook her head. "'Oh, no, it wouldn't be suitable at all. "'There's no plot in it, you see. "'It's just a string of fancies. "'I like writing such things, "'but, of course, nothing of the sort would ever do for publication, "'for editors insist on plots,' so Priscilla says. "'Oh, there's Miss Sarah Cop now. "'Please, Diana, go and explain.' "'Miss Sarah Cop was a small person, garbed in shabby black, "'with a hat chosen less for vain adornment "'than for qualities that would wear well.' She looked as amazed as might be expected on seeing the curious tableau in her yard. But when she heard Diana's explanation, she was all sympathy. She hurriedly unlocked the back door, produced the axe, and with a few skillful blows set Anne free. The latter, somewhat tired and stiff, ducked down into the interior of her prison and thankfully emerged into liberty once more. "'Miss Cop,' she said earnestly, "'I assure you I looked into your pantry window only to discover if you had a willow-ware platter.' "'I didn't see anything else. "'I didn't look for anything else.' "'Bless you, that's all right,' said Miss Sarah, amiably. "'You needn't worry. "'There's no harm done. "'Thank goodness we cops keep our pantries presentable at all times "'and don't care who sees into them. "'As for that old duck house, I'm glad it's smashed, "'for maybe now Martha will agree to having it taken down. "'She never would before, for fear that it might come in handy sometime, "'and I've had to whitewash it every spring.' "'but you might as well argue with a post as with Martha. "'She went to town today. "'I drove her to the station. "'And you want to buy my platter. "'Well, what will you give for it?' Twenty dollars,' said Anne, "'who has never meant to match business wits with a cop, "'or she would have not offered her price at the start. "'Well, I'll see,' said Miss Sarah cautiously. "'That platter is mine, fortunately, "'or I'd never dare to sell it when Martha wasn't here. "'As it is, "'I dare say she'll raise a fuss. "'Martha's the boss of this establishment, I can tell you. "'I'm getting awful tired of living under another woman's thumb, though. "'But come in, come in. 
"'You must be real tired and hungry. "'I'll do the best I can for you in the way of tea, "'but I warn you not to expect anything but bread and butter and some cowcumbers.' "'Martha locked up all the cake and cheese and preserves before she went. "'She always does, because she says I'm too extravagant with them if company comes. "'The girls were hungry enough to do justice to any fare, "'and they enjoyed Miss Sarah's excellent bread and butter and cowcumbers thoroughly. "'When the meal was over, Miss Sarah said, "'I don't know as I mind selling the platter, but it's worth twenty-five dollars. "'It's a very old platter.' Diana gave Anne's foot a gentle kick under the table, meaning, Don't agree. She'll let it go for twenty if you hold out. But Anne was not minded to take any chances in regard to that precious platter. She promptly agreed to give twenty-five, and Miss Sarah looked as if she felt sorry she hadn't asked for thirty. Well, I guess you may have it. I want all the money I can scare up just now. The fact is... Miss Sarah threw up her head importantly, with a proud flush on her thin cheeks. "'I'm going to be married, to Luther Wallace. "'He wanted me twenty years ago. "'I liked him real well, but he was poor then, "'and father packed him off. "'I suppose I shouldn't have let him go so meek, "'but I was timid and frightened of father. "'Besides, I didn't know men were so scarce.' "'When the girls were safely away, "'Diana driving and Anne holding the coveted platter "'carefully on her lap, "'the green, rain-freshened solitudes of the Tory Road "'were enlivened by ripples of girlish laughter.' "'I'll amuse your Aunt Josephine with the strange, eventful history of this afternoon "'when I go to town tomorrow. "'We've had a rather trying time, but it's over now. "'I've got the platter, and that rain has laid the dust beautifully. "'So all's well that ends well.' "'We're not home yet,' said Diana, rather pessimistically, "'and there's no telling what may happen before we are. "'You're such a girl to have adventures, Anne.' "'Having adventures comes natural to some people.' "'said Anne serenely. "'You just have a gift for them, or you haven't. "'We'll return with Chapter 19 "'right after these sponsor messages. "'And now, just a happy day. "'After all,' Anne had said to Marilla once, "'I believe the nicest and sweetest days "'are not those on which anything very splendid "'or wonderful or exciting happens, "'but just those that bring simple little pleasures, "'following one another softly.' like pearls slipping off a string. Life at Green Gables was full of just such days, for Anne's adventures and misadventures, like those of other people, did not all happen at once, but were sprinkled over the year, with long stretches of harmless, happy days between, filled with work and dreams and laughter and lessons. Such a day came late in August. In the forenoon, Anne and Diana rowed the delighted twins down the pond to the sand shore to pick sweet grass and paddle in the surf, over which the wind was harping an old lyric learned when the world was young. In the afternoon, Anne walked down to the old Irving place to see Paul. She found him stretched out on the grassy bank beside the thick fir grove that sheltered the house on the north, absorbed in a book of fairy tales. He sprang up radiantly at the sight of her. "'Oh, I'm so glad you've come, teacher,' he said eagerly, "'because Grandma's away. "'You'll stay and have tea with me, won't you? "'It's so lonesome to have tea all by oneself.' "'You know, teacher, I've had serious thoughts of asking young Mary Jo "'to sit down and eat her tea with me, "'but I expect Grandma wouldn't approve. "'She says the French have to be kept in their place. "'And anyhow, it's difficult to talk with young Mary Jo. "'She just laughs and says,' "'Well, yous do beat all the kids I ever knowed. "'That isn't my idea of conversation. 
"'Of course I'll stay to tea,' said Anne gaily. "'I was dying to be asked. "'My mouth has been watering for some more of your grandma's delicious shortbread "'ever since I had tea here last time.' "'Paul looked very sober. "'If it depended on me, teacher,' he said, "'standing before Anne with his hands in his pockets "'and his little face shadowed with sudden care, "'you should have shortbread with a right good will.' "'but it depends on Mary Jo. "'I heard Grandma tell her before she left "'that she wasn't to give me any shortcake "'because it was too rich for little boys' stomachs. "'But maybe Mary Jo will cut some for you "'if I promise I won't eat any. "'Let's hope for the best.' "'Yes, let us,' agreed Anne, "'whom this cheerful philosophy suited exactly. "'And if Mary Jo proves hard-hearted "'and won't give me any shortbread, "'it doesn't matter in the least, "'so you are not to worry over that. "'You're sure you won't mind if she doesn't?' said Paul anxiously. "'Perfectly sure, dear heart.' "'Then I won't worry,' said Paul, with a long breath of relief, "'especially as I really think Mary Jo will listen to reason. "'She's not a naturally unreasonable person, "'but she has learned by experience "'that it doesn't do to disobey Grandma's orders. "'Grandma is an excellent woman, "'but people must do as she tells them. "'She was very much pleased with me this morning "'because I managed at last to eat all my plateful of porridge.' It was a great effort, but I succeeded. Grandma says she thinks she'll make a man of me yet. But, teacher, I want to ask you a very important question. You will answer truthfully, won't you? I'll try, promised Anne. Do you think I'm wrong in my upper story? asked Paul, as if his very existence depended on her reply. Goodness, no, Paul, exclaimed Anne in amazement. Certainly you're not. What put such an idea into your head? "'Mary Jo. But she didn't know I heard her. "'Mrs. Peter Sloan's hired girl, Veronica, "'came to see Mary Jo last evening, "'and I heard them talking in the kitchen "'as I was going through the hall. "'I heard Mary Jo say, "'Dat Paul, he is de queerest little boy. "'He talks dat queer. "'I think there's something wrong in his upper story. "'I couldn't sleep last night for ever so long "'thinking of it and wondering if Mary Jo was right. "'I couldn't bear to ask Grandma about it somehow.' "'but I made up my mind I'd ask you. "'I'm so glad you think I'm all right in my upper story.' "'Of course you are. "'Mary Jo's a silly, ignorant girl, "'and you are never to worry about anything she says,' "'said Anne indignantly, "'secretly resolving to give Mrs. Irving a discreet hint "'as to the advisability of restraining Mary Jo's tongue. "'Well, that's weighed off my mind,' said Paul. "'I'm perfectly happy now, teacher, thanks to you.' "'It wouldn't be nice to have something wrong in your upper story, would it, teacher? "'I suppose the reason Mary Jo imagines I have "'is because I tell her what I think about things sometimes.' "'That is a rather dangerous practice sometimes,' admitted Anne, "'out of the depths of her own experience. "'Well, by and by I tell you the thoughts I told Mary Jo, "'and you can see for yourself if there's anything queer in them,' said Paul. "'But I'll wait till it begins to get dark.' "'That's the time I ache to tell people things, "'and when nobody else is handy, "'I just have to tell Mary Jo. "'But after this, I won't. "'If it makes her imagine I'm wrong in my head, "'I'll just ache and bear it. "'And if the ache gets too bad, "'you can come up to Green Gables "'and tell me your thoughts,' suggested Anne, "'with all the gravity that endeared her to children, "'who so dearly love to be taken seriously. "'Yes, I will. "'But I hope Davy won't be there when I go, "'because he makes faces at me. I don't mind very much because he's such a little boy, and I'm quite a big one, but still it is not pleasant to have faces made at you. And Davy makes such terrible ones. 
"'Sometimes I'm frightened he'll never get his face straightened out again. "'He makes them at me in church when I ought to be thinking of sacred things. "'Dora likes me, though, and I like her, "'but not so well as I did before she told Minnie Mae Barry "'that she meant to marry me when I grew up. "'I may marry somebody when I grow up, "'but I'm far too young to be thinking of it yet. "'Don't you think, teacher?' "'Yes, rather young,' agreed teacher. "'Speaking of marrying, reminds me of another thing that's been troubling me of late,' continued Paul. "'Mrs. Lynde was down here one day last week, having tea with Grandma, "'and Grandma made me show her my little mother's picture. "'The one father sent me for my birthday present. "'I don't exactly want to show it to Mrs. Lynde. "'Mrs. Lynde is a good, kind woman, "'but she isn't the sort of person you want to show your mother's picture to. "'You know, teacher.' "'but of course I obeyed Grandma. "'Mrs. Lynde said she was very pretty, "'but kind of actressy looking, "'and must have been an awful lot younger than Father. "'Then she said, "'Some of these days your Pa will be marrying again, likely. "'How would you like to have a new Ma, Master Paul?' "'Well, the idea almost took my breath away, teacher, "'but I wasn't going to let Mrs. Lynde see that. "'I just looked her straight in the face, like this. "'Then I said, "'Mrs. Lynde,' Father made a pretty good job of picking out my first mother, and I could trust him to pick out just as good a one the second time. And I can trust him, teacher. But still, I hope, if he ever does give me a new mother, he'll ask my opinion about her before it's too late. There's Mary Jo coming to call us to tea. I'll go and consult with her about the shortbread. As a result of the consultation, Mary Jo cut the shortbread and added a dish of preserves to the bill of fare. Anne poured the tea and she and Paul had a very merry meal in the dim old sitting-room whose windows were open to the gulf breezes, and they talked so much nonsense that Mary Jo was quite scandalized and told Veronica the next evening that the schoolmarm was as queer as Paul. After tea, Paul took Anne up to his room to show her his mother's picture, which had been the mysterious birthday present kept by Mrs. Irving in the bookcase. Paul's little low-ceilinged room was a soft whirl of ruddy light from the sun that was setting over the sea, and swinging shadows from the fir trees that grew close to the square, deep-set window. From out this soft glow and glamour shone a sweet, girlish face with tender mother eyes that was hanging on the wall at the foot of the bed. "'That's my little mother,' said Paul with loving pride. "'I got Grandma to hang it there where I'd see it as soon as I opened my eyes in the morning. I never mind not having the light when I go to bed now,' "'because it just seems as if my little mother was right here with me. "'Father knew just what I would like for a birthday present, "'although he never asked me. "'Isn't it wonderful how much fathers do know? "'Your mother was very lovely, Paul, "'and you look a little like her, "'but her eyes and hair are darker than yours.' "'My eyes are the same color as father's,' said Paul, "'flying about the room to heap all available cushions on the window seat. "'But father's hair is gray. "'He has lots of it. "'But it is gray.' "'You see, father's nearly fifty. "'That's a ripe old age, isn't it? "'But it's only outside that he's old. "'Inside he's just as young as anybody. "'Now, teacher, please sit here, and I'll sit at your feet. "'May I lay my head against your knee? "'That's the way my little mother and I used to sit. "'Oh, this is real splendid, I think. "'Now, I want to hear those thoughts that Mary Jo pronounces so queer,' said Anne, "'patting the mop of curls at her side.' Paul never needed any coaxing to tell his thoughts, at least to congenial souls. "'I thought them out in the fir grove one night,' he said dreamily. "'Of course, I didn't believe them, but I thought them. "'You know, teacher. 
"'and then I wanted to tell them to somebody, "'and there was nobody but Mary Jo. "'Mary Jo was in the pantry setting bread, "'and I sat down on the bench beside her, and I said, "'Mary Jo, do you know what I think? "'I think the evening star is a lighthouse on the land "'where the fairies dwell.' "'And Mary Jo said, "'Well, yous are the queer one. "'Dey ain't no such thing as fairies.' "'I was very much provoked. "'Of course, I knew there are no fairies, "'but that needn't prevent my thinking there is. "'You know, teacher.' "'But I tried again quite patiently. "'I said, "'Well then, Mary Jo, do you know what I think? "'I think an angel walks over the world after the sun sets, "'a great, tall, white angel with silvery folded wings.' "'and sings the flowers and birds to sleep. "'Children can hear him if they know how to listen.' "'Then Mary Jo held up her hands all over flower and said, "'Well, yous are the queer little boy. "'Yous make me feel scared.' "'And she really did look scared. "'I went out then and whispered the rest of my thoughts to the garden. "'There was a little birch tree in the garden, and it died. "'Grandma says the salt spray killed it. "'But I think the dryad belonging to it was a foolish dryad, "'who wandered away to see the world and got lost, "'and the little tree was so lonely, it died of a broken heart. "'Then Ann said, "'And when the poor, foolish little dryad gets tired of the world "'it comes back to her tree, her heart will break. "'Yes, but if dryads are foolish, they must take the consequences, "'just as if they were real people,' said Paul gravely. "'Do you know what I think about the new moon, teacher? "'I think it's a little golden boat full of dreams. "'And when it tips on a cloud,' "'Some of them spill out and fall into your sleep.' "'Exactly, teacher. "'Oh, you do know. "'And I think the violets are little snips of the sky "'that fell down when the angels cut out holes "'for the stars to shine through. "'And the buttercups are made out of old sunshine. "'And I think the sweet peas will be butterflies "'when they go to heaven. "'Now, teacher, do you see anything so very queer "'about those thoughts?' "'No, laddie dear, they're not queer at all. "'They are strange and beautiful thoughts "'for a little boy to think.' And so people who couldn't think of anything of the sort themselves, if they tried for a hundred years, think them strange. But keep on thinking them, Paul. Some day you're going to be a poet, I believe. When Anne reached home, she found a very different type of boyhood waiting to be put to bed. Davy was sulky, and when Anne had undressed him, he bounced into bed and buried his face in the pillow. Davy, you've forgotten to say your prayers, said Anne rebukingly. "'Oh, I didn't forget,' said Davy defiantly, "'but I ain't going to say my prayers any more. "'I'm going to give up trying to be good, "'cause no matter how good I am, "'you'd like Paul Irving better, "'so I might as well be bad and have the fun of it.' "'I don't like Paul Irving better,' said Anne seriously. "'I like you just as well, only in a different way.' "'But I want you to like me in the same way,' pouted Davy. "'You can't like different people the same way.' "'You don't like Dora and me the same way, do you?' "'Davy sat up and reflected. "'No,' he admitted at last. "'I like Dora because she's my sister. "'But I like you because you're you. "'And I like Paul because he's Paul, "'and Davy because he's Davy,' said Anne. "'Well, I kind of wish I said my prayers then,' said Davy, "'convinced by this logic. "'But it's too much bother getting out now to say them.' "'I'll say them twice over in the morning, Anne. "'Won't that do as well?' "'No, Anne was positive it would not do as well. "'So Davy scrambled out and knelt down at her knee. "'When he had finished his devotions, "'he leaned back on his little bare brown heels and looked up at her. "'Anne, 
I'm gooder than I used to be. Yes, indeed you are, Davy, said Anne, who never hesitated to give credit where credit was due. I know I'm gooder, said Davy confidently, and I'll tell you how I know it. Today Marilla gave me two pieces of bread and jam, one for me and one for Dora. One was a good deal bigger than the other, and Marilla didn't say which was mine, but I gave the biggest piece to Dora. That was good of me, wasn't it? That was very good, and very manly, Davy. Of course, admitted Davy. Dora wasn't very hungry, and she ate only half her slice, and then she gave the rest to me. But I didn't know she was going to do that when I gave it to her, so I was good, Anne. In the twilight, Anne sauntered down to the dryad's bubble and saw Gilbert Blythe coming down to the dusky haunted wood. She had a sudden realization that Gilbert was a schoolboy no longer, and how manly he looked, the tall, frank-faced fellow with the clear, straightforward eyes and the broad shoulders. Anne thought Gilbert was a very handsome lad, even though he didn't look at all like her ideal man. She and Diana had long ago decided what kind of a man they admired, and their tastes seemed exactly similar. He must be very tall and distinguished-looking, with melancholy, inscrutable eyes, and a melting, sympathetic voice. There was nothing either melancholy or inscrutable in Gilbert's physiognomy, but, of course, that didn't matter in friendship. Gilbert stretched himself out on the ferns beside the bubble and looked approvingly at Anne. If Gilbert had been asked to describe his ideal woman, the description would have answered point for point to Anne, even to those seven tiny freckles whose obnoxious presence still continued to vex her soul. Gilbert was as yet little more than a boy, but a boy has his dreams, as have others, and in Gilbert's future there was always a girl with big, limpid gray eyes and a face as fine and delicate as a flower. He had made up his mind, also, that his future must be worthy of its goddess. Even in quiet Avonlea there were temptations to be met and faced. White Sands' youth were a rather fast set, and Gilbert was popular wherever he went but he meant to keep himself worthy of Anne's friendship, and perhaps some distant day, her love, and he watched over word and thought and deed as jealously as if her clear eyes were to pass judgment on it. She held over him the unconscious influence that every girl, whose ideals are high and pure, wields over friends, an influence which would endure as long as she was faithful to those ideals, and which she would certainly lose if she were ever false to them. In Gilbert's eyes, Anne's greatest charm was the fact that she never stooped to the petty practices of so many of the Avonlea girls. The small jealousies, the little deceits and rivalries, the palpable bids for favor. Anne held herself apart from all this, not consciously or by design, but simply because anything of the sort was utterly foreign to her transparent, impulsive nature, crystal clear in its motives and aspirations. But Gilbert did not attempt to put his thoughts into words, for he had already too good reason to know that Anne would mercilessly and frostily nip all attempts at sentiment in the bud, or laugh at him, which was ten times worse. "'You look like a real dryad under that birch tree,' he said teasingly. "'I love birch trees,' said Anne, laying her cheek against the creamy satin of the slim bowl with one of the pretty, caressing gestures that came so natural to her. "'Then you'll be glad to hear that Mr. Major Spencer "'has decided to set out a row of white birches "'all along the road front of his farm "'by way of encouraging the AVIS,' said Gilbert. "'He was talking to me about it today. "'Major Spencer is the most progressive "'and public-spirited man in Avonlea, 
"'and Mr. William Bell is going to set out a spruce hedge "'along his road front and up his lane. "'Our society is getting on splendidly, Anne. "'It is past the experimental stage, and it's an accepted fact. "'The older folks are beginning to take an interest in it, "'and the White Sands people are talking of starting one, too. "'Even Elisha Wright has come around since that day "'the Americans from the hotel had the picnic at the shore. "'They praised our roadside so highly "'and said they were so much prettier than in any other part of the island.' And when, in due time, the other farmers follow Mr. Spencer's good example and plant ornamental trees and hedges along their road fronts, Avonlea will be the prettiest settlement in the province. The aides are talking of taking up the graveyard, said Anne, and I hope they will, because there will have to be a subscription for that, and it would be no use for the society to try it after the hall affair. But the aides would never have stirred in the matter if the society hadn't put it into their thoughts unofficially. Those trees we planted on the church grounds are flourishing and the trustees have promised me that they will fence in the school grounds next year. If they do it, I'll have an arbor day, and every scholar shall plant a tree, and we'll have a garden in the corner by the road. We've succeeded in almost all our plans so far, except in getting the old bolter house removed, said Gilbert, and I've given that up in despair. Levi won't have it taken down just to vex us. There's a contrary streak in all the bolters, "'and it's strongly developed in him. "'Julia Bell wants to send another committee to him, "'but I think the better way will be just to leave him severely alone,' "'said Anne sagely. "'And trust the Providence, as Mrs. Lynn says,' smiled Gilbert. "'Certainly no more committees. "'They only aggravate him. "'Julia Bell thinks you can do anything "'if you only have a committee to attempt it. "'Next spring, Anne, we must start an agitation "'for nice lawns and grounds.' "'We'll sow good seed betimes this winter. "'I have a treatise here on lawns and lawn-making, "'and I'm going to prepare a paper on the subject soon. "'Well, I suppose our vacation is almost over. "'School opens Monday. "'Has Ruby Gillis got the Carmody School?' "'Yes. Priscilla wrote that she'd taken her own home school, "'so the Carmody trustees gave it to Ruby. "'I'm sorry Priscilla's not coming back, "'but once she can't, I'm glad Ruby has got the school.' She'll be home for Saturdays, and it will seem like old times, to have her and Jane and Diana and myself all together again. Marilla, just home from Mrs. Lynn's, was sitting on the back porch step when Anne returned to the house. Rachel and I have decided to have our cruise to town tomorrow, she said. Mr. Lynde is feeling better this week, and Rachel wants to go before he has another six bell. I intend to get up extra early tomorrow morning, for I have ever so much to do, said Anne virtuously. For one thing, I'm going to shift the feathers from my old bed tick to the new one. I ought to have done it long ago, but I've just kept putting it off. It's such a detestable task. It's a very bad habit to put off disagreeable things, and I never mean to again, or else I can't comfortably tell my pupils not to do it. That would be inconsistent. Then I want to make a cake for Mr. Harrison and finish my paper on gardens for the AVIS and write Stella and wash and starch my muslin dress and make Dora's new apron. "'You won't get half done,' said Marilla, pessimistically. "'I never yet planned to do a lot of things, "'but something happened to prevent me.'" Thanks for joining us for Anne of Avonlea, chapters 18 and 19, at 1001 Stories for the Road. We do appreciate you sharing our show with others, and we do appreciate reviews. If you have a chance, please do send a review for 1001 Stories for the Road. Until next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone, stay safe. And we'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.